Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our So That Sermon series. This series focuses on fulfilling the Great Commission, taking the gospel of Jesus to our friends, family, communities, cities, nation, and the world. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Oh, boy. It must be raining outside still. I said, how are we doing this morning, church? There we are. Well, my name is Dan Hermans. I'm the associate pastor here, and I have the pleasure and the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. And I'm, I'm excited about not just this morning, but like my heart and my spirit is excited about what God is doing in our midst here at our church and, and also in our region and in our world. And so I want to share with you this morning just some really cool things that God has been doing in the hearts of some of our leadership, in the heart of our, our senior pastor and our elder board, and just something that we're stepping into as a church, a new season and a new season of, of, of challenge and a vision that we're stepping into as a church starting this week. And so I'm really excited to be a small part of that, and I'm really excited to share with you about that this morning. So we're going to dive in this morning. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles to for, or open or turn on or activate um, our Bibles this morning to First Peter uh, 2. It's where we're going to be camping out a little bit. And so I want to give you a little context before we're going to be focusing on First Peter 2.9, but I want to give you a little context of, of what's happening here, you know, as Peter's writing. So we're going to start in verse 2, and it says, So rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow by it for your salvation, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God, you yourselves are living stones." You are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So we're hearing about our identity as believers here. Verse 6, it says, For it is contained in Scripture, Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. Now, don't miss this part, church, but you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. It's pretty crazy. For his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in this verse, we're seeing kind of the stage set for a transformation of the church and a transformation of the purpose and the identity of a believer, those who, you know, profess faith in Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Peter 2 through basically verse 8, we see this contrast between those who believe and those who don't. And we see this contrast in this, this metaphor with stones where the cornerstone is put in Jesus and those that believe in him are set apart from the world. But then we hit verse 9, which is important this morning, and I want us to, to read it again, and we're going to be camping out here all morning. It says, but you. So it's talking about the world, and then it says, but you, speaking to the church, to believers. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that, so that 
you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what does it mean as a church, as believers, as God's chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his special possession? In some translations, it says peculiar people. I love that. To live a so that life. A life where the purpose of our identity, a life where the purpose of our identity as believers is so that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of our darkness and into his wonderful life. In 2014, uh, in July of 2014, I had the amazing privilege of leading a team of students and leaders on a missions trip to Jamaica, to Kingston, Jamaica. And we had prepared for months up to this trip. It was, it was the, the first international trip that I had led here at, when I was a student pastor here at Valley Brook. And, and so we wanted to do this right. And so we had months of preparation and evangelism training and diving into God's word and team building. And we got, remember the first night we were in Jamaica and we drove up and we, we drove up right outside of Kingston in this, this small village and up a mountain to the church that we were staying at. And we were kind of our, our central focus. And we stood at the top of that church the first night, beautiful view overlooking the city. I mean, one of the most gorgeous things that I've ever <laughs> experienced and places I've ever seen. And we stood up on the top of that city holding hands in a circle and we said, God, we want your will to be done in this trip, not ours. And we meant it. And I've never seen a group of students mean it more. And they, we literally, we stood up there and we had this moment that I feel like the Holy Spirit just fell on us in a powerful way. And we all were, were in tears and we said, God, we want your will to be done in this trip, not ours. And there was a spark of a so that lifestyle. And I'm going to be saying that a lot this morning. We're going to unpack it. But there was a spark of the so that lifestyle in that circle that night. So the next day, you know, we, we went with this organization called Praying Pelican, and, and basically this organization sets up VBSs and sport camps, and so you work with a local church, and people from the town come to the church, and, and basically they come in to hear the gospel and to be blessed and to serve, and you're part of, like, revivals through the church. And, and we felt very strongly that morning as we met as a team, some of our leaders and some of the students, that that was all great and we wanted to do that, but we had this afternoon, that first day free, and that afternoon was supposed to be kind of a cool trip where we could kind of see the area. It was like more of a touristy thing. And so I went to the team and I said, guys, I really feel like that would be fun and that would be great, but I feel like we're here. We prayed that last night. We're here for a greater purpose. Why don't we, instead of doing that, why don't we start at the church and work our way down the hill and just start ministering to people. Start praying, you know, for people. Start praying that God's will would be done, not ours. And, and sacrifice kind of that fun time for your mission. And so our team, I mean, again, this was a, like a, a rock star group of students and leaders. They're like, that sounds awesome. And so we got together and we started, we went to our group leader, our point person from Praying Pelican, and we told him our plan. And he's like, oh, nobody's ever done that before which for me was mind-blowing, but, you know, he's like, you know, can I come with you? And the cool part was is that not only was our leader there, but the, the head of all of Jamaica missions for Praying Pelican was with us. He's like, could I come too? And so we, we got together again, and we prayed the same prayer. We said, God, put people in our paths today that you desire for us to show your love through our actions and through our words. And so we started walking down the hill and meeting people. And this was, again, like 100% below the poverty line. This was a rough area. You know, people were living in, in these shacks, and they had nothing. And we were welcomed with open arms. If you know anything about the, the Jamaican people, hospitality is like a beautiful thing. We were offered some foods that I never would eat. But besides that, like, just welcome arms. Come into my house. Come on. And it was amazing. And so we finally got down the hill to this kind of local center market area. 
And this was like the hub of, of just this area. And so we walked into this market area, and there's people everywhere. I mean, packed. Now, being the leader of a bunch of white suburban kids walking in to, like, like the uh, rough area of Jamaica, we stood out like sore thumbs. I mean, people were, you know, again, then our, our kids didn't know any better, and they're walking around all, all joyful and happy, and people are just looking at us like, what are these people doing? And so we got to this area, and, and we really felt strong. Like, let's just start praying for people. Obviously, people are curious of why we're here, so let's tell them. Like, we have this easy out because we stood out, so why don't we just tell them, hey, we're here with this church. We're here with this mission. We're here to share the love of Jesus. And so we split up in groups of two, and, and we started walking around just this. Again, we could all see each other, but this dense area just really, you could tell, too. Like, you know when you walk into an area, you can just tell there's brokenness? That was, like, all over this place. And so we walked into this area, and we just started saying, Lord, like, just, you know, enable us, empower us. Like, we don't have the words, but you do. We barely can understand, you know, it's, it's, it's English, but it's, it's, a, it's a combination of a type of English. And so we, we were trying to figure out what people were saying, and it was just very difficult. And so we came upon this one guy, and uh, I was with Dave Bugnacki, you know, Ray, one of our elders, his son. He's now in college, but I was with Dave. And so Dave and I were just like pumped up and ready to go. And we saw this guy and he was leaning up against the wall and he was limping. But then he started walking down. He was limping like horribly, like something majorly wrong, you know, with, with his leg. Not just like a little limp, but like something, you know, structurally an issue with him. And so we're like, let's, let's go pray for him. You know, we want to see God move. We want, we've seen God move in the miraculous. We know that God still heals, and he uses his people to release that power. And so he said, let's just go pray for him. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Nothing happens, and we lose some pride. But what's the best that could happen? He could have an encounter with Jesus. And so we started praying for him, and, and there's a picture of Dave and I, the first picture. And so we're with this guy. This is what the other guy was just watching us awkwardly. And there's a group of people that have gathered around because, again, you know, we're just standing out like a sore thumb. And tattoos are not welcome there, by the way. I, people found out I was a pastor, and it was a very um, awkward thing. And so that also added to it. But so we're, we walk up to this guy, and we're like, hey, man, you know, we're, we're with Praying Pelican. We're here to, to serve you guys and, and love you. And, and honestly, we're here on a mission from God to tell people about the love of Jesus. Like, have you ever heard about Jesus before? Have you ever been prayed for? Can we pray for you? And I heard something that, like, radically rocked my worldview. He, this guy had never heard about Jesus before. Like, I know that we live in a secular world in, in the Western American culture, but pretty much everybody has heard about Jesus. Whether they believe in Jesus or not, you know, we have a lot of people in our culture that are churched or ex-churched or, or, you know, grew up in the church, and don't want, but they, people have heard about Jesus. But this guy's like, I've never been heard, I've never heard about Jesus, and I've never been prayed for. And like, my, like my mind was blown. And so we're like, well... You know, we're here for Jesus, and we started talking a little bit about Jesus, but I'm like, hey, can we just, we believe that, that God loves his children, and we believe that you're a child of God, and we believe that God wants to, to show you his love, you know, by, by healing your body. You know, we see that in the early apostles. They went and they healed, and they performed signs and wonders, and so we're like, Lord, do it through us. And so we got down, Dave and I, and we, we laid our hands on his ankle and just like prayed the most bold prayer, like just like this amazing, eloquent, bold prayer, and absolutely nothing happened. All right, cool, that's my message. No, I'm just kidding. But like, so, so I literally, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I'm discouraged because we have sometimes have a, a performance mentality in church. And so I just was like, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Like uh, all my cards are on the table. And he said, tell them about me. Dan, you're missing it. It's not about the miracle. It's about the miracle worker. 
And so I just started to tell this, this man who's never heard about Jesus before. And at this time, there's a crowd, by the way. So we're not just talking to this guy. I'm talking to this whole town. And I started telling him about his identity, that he was created in the image of his heavenly father, that he was fearfully and wonderfully made, that God sees him and that he loves him so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for him. And so I asked him again. This is another moment. I was, I was like, I'm going to be bold. I want a testimony. Like, I want to be bold. Hey, do you want to make Jesus your best friend? And he looked at me and was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> something, something like that. So I'm like strike two. I'm like, I'm now like just like crushed. Like my heart is in the ground. You know, I'm like, my students are now watching me. I'm failing. Like all these, these thoughts, these lies of the enemy are going through my head. And so God spoke to me again. He said, pray for him one more time and believe. So I said, hey, man, we're going to leave you alone a second. But can we just, I just feel like we're supposed to pray for your foot one more time. So we bent down again in the streets of Jamaica. Me and a, a, a 14-year-old student, and I looked at David, I'm like, you should pray this time. And so Dave started praying healing over his leg. And no joke, I, I promise you this is reality. We felt a pop in his ankle. And, and I know that it wasn't just like this, this conjured up thing, because the look on his face when his ankle was healed by the Holy Spirit was a look of shock and joy and confusion. All three mixed into one. And he started crying, and no, no exaggeration, he started running up and down the street, just yelling with tears of joy. And he came back, and he says the, one of the most amazing things. He said, I want to know Jesus now. Amen. And so in Jamaica, we got to share the love of Jesus, and he accepted Christ right there on the streets. But that's not the coolest part about the story. That's awesome. But he showed us right in that moment what it meant to live a so-that lifestyle. Because we basically said, hey, here's a Bible. Here's a church. Kind of the typical thing. Like, here's a track. Like, we're going to leave you now. See you later. And he looked. He's like, can I come with you? I'm like, Sure. And so this guy was our ambassador to this town. He, he led the way for our group of white suburban kids and their tattooed youth pastor. And he led our way through the town. And he said, hey, meet something like along the lines of, hey, meet my friends. Jesus healed me. I want him to do it for you. Literally, he found his purpose. He found his identity in Christ. And immediately he said, it's not about me. I want my friends to know. That, my friends, that Valley Brook is what it means to live a so-that lifestyle. Through his encounter with Jesus, both physically and spiritually, his life changed. And in that, min in that moment, he found his true purpose. 1 Peter 2.9, again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful life. He found out his identity, and then he went and lived that so that. As I was studying for this message, it's just really cool. There's just so much depth in, in biblical academia. Sometimes we can get caught up in it, honestly. But there's this thing called the material principle. It's a theological principle that honestly, for all of our teaching, but especially for this, is kind of our, our foundation, our presupposition as we approach scripture. You know, because if we know, if we don't approach scripture with certain presuppositions, like, you know, scripture is the inerrant word of God, which we believe firmly here at Valley Brook. You know, scripture was God breathed. We need to have, you know, cultural interpretation, all these things. But this presupposition says this, this is the material principle. It's central to this teaching, it says God's purpose has always been to have a people for himself, a people to whom he reveals his glory, a people through whom he displays his glory. 
Again, God's purpose has always been to have a people for himself, a people to whom he reveals his glory, and a people through whom he displays his glory. See, looking at the, the scripture at, at from 1 Peter 2.9 with this framework and this mindset, it shows us our purpose in God's eyes. That we are made not just to be blessed, but to bless. That we are made not just to be healed, but to heal. That we are made not just to be saved, but to save. Now, please don't take me the wrong way. I'm not saying that we personally, as human beings, save people. But if we can figure out our purpose, then God will use us as conduits for his gospel. It's all over scripture. Our purpose as believers is found in the central teaching. That we are created and purposed to live a so that lifestyle. That we are created. Literally, it was in God's plan. There's no plan B. I, I don't like when people, a lot of times people say, well, you know, the fall of man happened, then God's plan B, Jesus. Like, God doesn't have a plan B. God knows what he has always known and will always know what he's doing. He's sovereign. And his purpose for us has always been to reveal his glory to us and then reveal his glory through us. I've had the, uh, the blessing and I don't want to say the curse, but the blessing and, and also the difficulty of, of growing up at Valley Brook, literally growing up at Valley Brook. My family um, was on the planting team. Actually, my mom and my dad were on the search committee for Pastor Clark. And, and I grew up right before I hit middle school youth group at Big Valley, which in my mind was like this big deal. I was so excited. My parents were like, hey, we're going we're gonna to change gears and we're actually going to move um, churches and we're going to plant a church. And at this point, I'm, you know, I'm a sixth grade or a fifth grade student, and I just had no idea what that meant. It meant not going to the cool youth group and, and being in youth group with, like, my sister and my brother and, like, two other kids. It was super awkward. But the cool part about that was I saw a so that missional lifestyle play out in front of me. It's, honestly, it's not until, you know, my older years and, and going through some of the struggles that I really understood and appreciated it, but I saw... So that lifestyle exhibited through our senior pastor, Pastor Clark, and through our whole body. You know, my, uh, people are wondering why this is up here. I want to tell you about my first exposure to worship ministry. <laughs> At Valley, some of you are laughing because you, you know this, but. So Valleybrook started, and it was kind of this grassroots church in the area, and we started to grow, and, and we were meeting in houses, and then, you know, we, we moved into Kelly Lane School. Um, we moved, I think, to the middle school first, and it I think, actually, you talked about that last week. But we moved into Kelly Lane School, and I joined the worship team. Let me tell you about that. So back in the day, this, all this cool stuff didn't exist. It was this. It was the overhead projector, and Dan Hermance was the overhead projector ministry. I was the pastor of overhead projection, okay? My ADD, they couldn't have picked the worst person. I was, see, like, I, up until today, I felt like I owned it. Like, I'm like, I felt like I, I killed it. But Pastor Clark's like, man, it was horrible. Like, you'd be like three slides back, you get distracted. I mean, so that kind of hurt my heart a little bit. But basically, my, my goal was, like, to take the sheet of, like, like, trading my sorrows and put it on the overhead projector now, there were two challenges. Number one was making sure it wasn't backwards or upside down, which you learn, and also making sure your fingers weren't all over it. But that was my first ministry. And I would go early with my family, and, and I, like, this was, like, it was it. Like, I took, I took this seriously. 
And I would also go early with, with this guy, the setup team, and with this guy, Bill Harris, some of you old school Valley Brook remember Bill. And we build the big projection screen, and we you know, button it together on the steel frame. But when it got really cold, the screen shrunk up, and so it took like five of us to stretch the screen out to button it up. And I always got in trouble somehow doing that and got yelled at. Again, probably the ADD part. But, but I really saw in those early days what it meant to be part of a mission, a soul of that culture. Let me tell you why. Because every person that walked into our church, the moment you said, I love this church, was the moment you were handed a hand truck to move something. Dead serious. Like, we're in luxury right now, people. Like, back then, like, if you were, even at the high school, we had this big red trailer, it's still out back, big red trailer filled to the brim with purple children's ministries buckets. And again, you know the purple, I'm haunted by those buckets to this day. My mom is the children's ministries director, so we were on the setup team by default. And so every morning, we'd have somebody drive that trailer in and drive a trailer with music gear, and we'd unload it. And just everybody came, and like we all just hopped to. We were on mission. It was this amazing thing for me to see like a, a secular school at Kelly Lane, classrooms being transformed into Sunday school, going to Sunday school in classrooms with that little like awkward little TV that had the VHS thing that we'd play from it. But every person, the moment that you came to Valley Brook, you caught the mission. It was part of our DNA. It was part of our vision. Not saying that it isn't anymore, but don't miss this. That was so obvious because we were all in it together. Everybody knew their role. Everybody had a role. And if you didn't, you would be given one very quickly. <laughs> then something happened. A, a weird dynamic happened. We were given a beautiful $8.5 million building. Now, please don't, again, this is my disclaimer. God is doing amazing things to this day, every week, every day. There's volunteers in this campus cleaning and making this happen. And we have an amazing, you know, gifted church that uses their, their time, their treasure, and their talents for his ministry. But there was a shift that happened. And I started noticing this because it kind of felt like from seeing the grassroots movement, now, don't get me wrong, not having to set up the sound system every week is like, it's like glory. I mean, like, I, that's like the heavens opening up on, on me and my team every morning. But something happened where I felt like we kind of all, myself included, kind of sat back and said, ah, we've made it. We're a real church now. And that, my friends, is, I think, Satan trying to lie to us about our identity of who we are, who Valley Brook is, and who every single one of you are. I heard a quote earlier this year that kind of like triggered a lot of this for me and, and as I just was in my prayer time. And, and the quote says, if we look at the church of Western culture, we see more museums than movements. Don't miss it. If we look at the church in the Western, the American church, we see more museums than movements. We see more, honestly, the phrase that it's used in the culture, we, we see sexy church. We see church as fun to look at, fun to go and see and observe, fun to consume. But we don't see a lot of movement. This impacted me greatly because I began to look at our ministry in my life asking the same question. Do I treat church as a museum or movement? Do we, in the way that we approach ministry and our events and our services and the way that we live life together, do we, do we approach church as a museum or a movement. 
I looked up the definition this week um, of museum. Museum is a, uh, Webster says it's a building in which objects uh, of historical, scientific, artistic, or cultural interest are stored and exhibited. It's a place where you go to look at things. <laughs> if you've ever been to a museum, if you try to, unless it's like a children's museum, if you try to interact with a museum, you'll get in some trouble, okay? Like museums are going just for your consumption. You're going, it's beautiful, it's amazing, you know, and you, your heart might be changed a little bit, but you're not getting involved in a museum. But a movement is this. A movement is a group of people working together to advance their shared political, social, artistic idea. And this is Webster. But number one, the act or process of moving people or things from one place or position to another. A movement is alive. A museum is dead. And so again, I ask myself, if we... Valley Brook. I'm not saying that we have, but I'm, I think it's an important question for us to step back and look at our lives individually and corporately and saying, have we moved more towards a move or a museum mentality than a movement mentality? And so as we've been having this conversation, you know, we've been praying about this, you know, Pastor Clark and I, the elders, the leadership, you know, Lord, like, what do you want in the season? And we noticed that there was this kind of this gap in ministry that happened so naturally when we weren't here, but that we needed to be intentional about seeking after once we moved to the building for multiple reasons. Again, we've grown, praise the Lord, we've doubled in size. But again, it's easier to kind of, when you're a church of 100 and there's a lot of chairs to move, you're just moving chairs. But now it's easy to kind of sit in the back. It's easy to fall between the cracks. It's easy just to come and enjoy the museum. You know, the other thing is that we've moved from the center heartbeat of our town up into North Granby. Just far enough to where if we're not intentional church, we can so easily become a museum that people come and make the trip to see the beautiful campus, the beautiful building, the lights, the beautiful stage, the, the pristine children's ministry area, the tables in the cafe. Again, all those things are great, but they're tools. They're not what we're about. And when they become what we're about, then we've, we've doomed ourselves to museum, not movement. And so we got this group of people together to say, how can we intentionally, how can we intentionally start challenging ourselves and our body to, to switch our mindset and to pursue being a movement? How can we intentionally live and challenge our congregation to live a so that lifestyle, a lifestyle where we know that we are equipped but that we're equipped for a purpose, which is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to spread about the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we, we gathered this team together um, called the Outreach and Evangelism Team. And we have an amazing missions program where we have an amazing, generous church, but we saw this gap where before it just happened naturally, but now it wasn't happening at all. And so we gathered with a couple of us, and we just started praying, saying, Father, how can we inspire equip and engage our congregation to live, each one of us, a life on mission? How can we inspire and equip and engage our congregation, our church body, corporately and individually, to live a so that lifestyle? And so we started to pray together, and, and, and we started to have conversations, and, and this, this amazing thing happened where, as we looked into God's word, a plan unfolded. Which is amazing as a believer, like, we try to figure things out on our own, and then, like, our last-ditch resort is let's look in Scripture, and it's like, should have done that from the very beginning. But Acts 1-8 was something that really came out of this and kind of landed as our guide. 
And so Acts 1.8, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of give you the, the background. I'm going to start at Acts 1. But basically, Acts 1.8, the, the background of this is Jesus has, this is the end of Jesus' um, term on earth. You know, Jesus came, and he lived 30 years, and he started his ministry for three years, and that's where we see in the Gospels him doing amazing things and him teaching and performing signs and wonders and raising the dead and all these things. And we see a culmination of this happen when Jesus, as he told, as he prophesied, went on the cross and took the sins of, of, of the world. And he died, and three days later, as we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, he died and rose again to conquer sin. And then when he rose again, there's a period of 40 days or like, I feel like Jesus had some fun with people, you know? Like, honestly, like, cause you gotta look at this. I always have to step back and look at the Bible from our perspective. Like, so Jesus died, you know, and, and you could tell, like, even as his apostles, you could tell that there was this tension of like, okay, like, is this really gonna happen? And then he's like, hey guys, like, and you see doubting Thomas and he's like, I wanna touch the holes in your hands. And be, in the span of 40 days, he kind of like popped up in places, which would be rather terrifying, again, if we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. Like, when's Jesus gonna come? And at the end of that 40 days, we see this, this last encounter with Jesus. You know, it's said about people that a, a man's final words are profound. And I think in this case, that is, that is very important. So let me read. I'm going to start in Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him, and again, as we do as stupid people sometimes, they said, Lord, at this time, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. They like, were completely missing the point. And they're like, Lord, can you just fix this? Like, we know that you have said all these other things and you've taught us this for three years, but we still don't get it. Like, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel, the earthly kingdom? And Jesus said to his, his apostles, he said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now listen, this is the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from his sight. They were looking intently up into the skies as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky. The same Jesus who has, taken, uh, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Last words, church, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, we see a divine strategy in this scripture that I think so often in the Great Commission, we, we just run completely by that there's a significance, if you look even into the geographical map of the area in this time, there's a significance of each of these areas. So if you look up here, each area had, had a different region. I, I'm going to call them, and we're going to reference them in the series as our spheres of influence. But Jerusalem, which was the first area, that was just the closest region. 
And Jerusalem to, to, to us, because we got to say, how does this translate to us? As we met as a team, we said, okay, what does Jerusalem mean to us? If Jesus calls the apostles to reach Jerusalem, obviously I don't think that it means we all should go to Jerusalem. But what I think it means is we need to reach the closest sphere. And so we define Jerusalem as your family, your workplace, your town, your school. Your, your closest sphere of influence, the people that you interact with on a daily basis. In my mind, Jesus is saying to us, just like he did the apostles, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. Now go reach your town. Go reach your family. Go reach your school. Go reach Granby, Simsbury, Ava, wherever you're from. Then the second region, and this is, is all Judea and Samaria, and it's a little further out. And, and for me and the team, we started to pray about this. And if you look geographically, it's our middle sphere. Judea and Samaria is Hartford, your region, your country. And this last one's very interesting, across cultural barriers and lines. See, Judea and Samaria are two different places that are kind of in the same sphere. But the reason that, you know, theologians believe, the reason that they were mentioned kind of in the same breath was that one of them meant geographically and one of them meant culturally. Because if you look at the Jewish people, Jewish people, the, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. You see that with Jesus' interaction with the women at the well. Like, that was mind-blowing that like a Jew would interact with this woman who is a Samaritan woman for many different reasons. And so they were called to not only reach their area, but expand and reach, you know, for us, our Hartford, our region, our country, across cultural bounds. Like literally it's, it's mentioned that we can't just reach the people that are comfortable. But we have to move across into areas where we won't be received well, where it wouldn't make any sense, where we might not understand. And the last was to the ends of the earth. So I'm trying to say to all the nations. And that's our furthest sphere. That's the nations, the world, international. You know, for me, we see this beautiful thing that happens. And I would challenge you, jump into the book of Acts, this series. Because we see this, this lined up in Acts 1.8. And the rest of Acts shows the apostles doing this. It's not necessarily in chronological order, which is how they reach. But you see, like, and in, in, in for them, their ends of the earth was Rome like for Paul and his journey. So we see this challenge, and then we see what happens in Acts. And if you've read the book of Acts, we see revival happen. It wasn't just like, hey, they went to this town and like a couple of people, like thousands, multitudes were saved because they were obedient and they knew their purpose. Their purpose wasn't comfort. Their purpose wasn't a service. Their purpose wasn't a cool worship or a great speaker. Their purpose was to see people know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as a team, we said, how do we inspire, equip, and engage our body on every mission or uh, to, to be on mission in every level of this life? And the cool part about this, this uh, we're not going to jump into that today. The cool part about this, this series we're doing is for the next three weeks, Pastor Clark is going to dive into each one of those areas. And not only just like philosophically and theologically, but practically, we're going to unfold for you. So you don't want to miss the next couple of weeks. We're going to unfold for you at Valleybrook, what does this look like? We're going to provide resources. We're going to provide action steps that we can all take risks and know that this is on all of us, not just on Pastor Clark or our elders or our staff. Because this is key. This is so key. The key to this being successful is to take the focus off the stage and into the chairs. Don't miss it. The key for this being successful is to take the focus off of the stage, off of the professional Christians, and into each one of your lives. Because one of the first things that you see Paul, who is one of the greatest evangelists of all time, you see him multiply. You see him releasing leaders. It wasn't all about Paul. 
But we see people equipped because Paul took it on himself to say, hey, I'm going to do this. And then he, he equipped and inspired other people to do the work. The moment that we can realize as a church body, yes, there's beauty in coming together corporately. And yes, we have great strategy in how we're going to do this together. But the greatest impact, the greatest impact church that we can have in reaching and ushering in the revival in this, our town, in our region, in our country, and in our world is if each one of us catch the vision of living from the so that. I'm going to end with this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. And uh, it's, it starts with my life verse. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as through God we're making his appeal, as, as through God we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Don't miss it. There's a theme here. We're qualified. We're created. God, not because of us, because who he is, he breathed life into us and he gives us the qualifications to be his ambassadors. So many times the gospel becomes, I just want to get out of hell. I want to go to heaven. That's it. But if you really read the word of God, and if you look at the books of Acts, and if you look at the heart of who God is and the heart of the ministry of Jesus, the gospel is a beginning that we go back to that material principle, that God wanted to have a people for himself to whom he revealed his glory and for whom, or and through whom, he reveals his glory. That a lot of times we stop at the to whom. It's like, God, thank you for saving me. Awesome, I'm now gonna sit in church and maybe I'll raise my hands in worship. Like, that's our step. Or maybe I'll join a small group. And we completely miss the fact that the gospel is on each one of our shoulders. And I'm not trying to put a pressure on you. Well, I, I am actually. Because I believe that if we're going to have an impact in our region, in our town, in this nation, and man, if you watch the news, we need to have an impact right now. That's going to come through the people of God, you, me, everyone, your kids, saying, God, I get it. You've equipped me. You set me apart. Uh, again, in First Peter, it says we're a peculiar people in some translations. We're set apart for your mission so that. He's done all of these things so that we may proclaim the greatness of who he is. You know, it's cool. I was talking with my little brother who's a, a pastor in Southington, and we were talking about, you know, we're both speaking this morning, which was a cool moment. We're going over our sermons together, and, and uh, he said, I love that Second Corinthians verse because that's one of the few places we look in Scripture where you don't really have to interpret words into our culture. Like, you don't have to change the words to what they mean in our cultural context. Meaning the word ambassador in biblical times, meant pretty much exactly what it does now. You know, ambassador, if we want to put up the definition, Steve, ambassador is a, a diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by a country as its official representative into a foreign country, an accredited diplomat. Another, the other thing, I, uh, other version I have is I have highest rank. That ambassador back then was the highest priest. It was somebody that was approved to carry out the king's desires to other nations. This was a person that the trust of the king was put into to go into foreign lands and represent the king well. But do you not, don't miss it here that our king, the King Jesus is saying, hey, you're my ambassador and I'm trusting you, man, woman, boy, girl, church, 
Chosen people, holy nation, I, you're my ambassador now to take the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving news of Jesus into a world that's unfamiliar. Won't be easy. We see that even when we started First Peter. It won't be easy. People are going to stumble over Christ. But that's your role. Because church, if each one of us could live the so that and impact one person, like, I would love to go back to Jamaica. I wish we had a connection to see the impact, the exponential impact that that one guy who learned his identity and lived the so that had been having in that town. I'm a result of a so that. I'm a result of, of being a punk kid who, who thought he knew everything and, and who was just a horrible person to be around. But people didn't give up on me and instead they knew that their purpose was to spread Jesus. And somebody told me about the love of Jesus and now here I am. Every single one of us, you can think about that person. Someone probably just came to your mind. The person who shared Christ with you. The person who said, hey, so that's important, and I want to tell about who Jesus is. And you learned about Jesus through that person. And because of that, you're sitting here today with an assurance of salvation, but also a challenge and a purpose. You know, we, we heard Joyce, Scott Johnson, lived the so that in that moment when he went to visit Joyce in the hospital. It wasn't a salvation moment, but he was the hands and feet of the body of Jesus Christ. We see Billy Graham just passed away, and if, I just saw this cool diagram. If you passed, or if you track the lineage of all the people who led each other to Christ, that ended in Billy Graham, who led like thousands and thousands of people to know who Jesus is, one of the greatest evangelists of all time. You see that if you trace his lineage, it comes back to a simpleton, a normal person. It wasn't this biblical scholar. It was just a person, a normal farmer who led somebody to Christ, who then caught the vision, led somebody else and caught the vision. What if that happened here? How would that impact our families? How would that impact your workplace? How would that impact our town? How would that impact our, our city of Hartford? How would that impact the world if Valley Brook said, you know what, we're not going to live in the museum. Like, this is a great tool. Thank you, Jesus, for this. But instead, we're going to live the so that, and we're going to be a movement, a living and breathing movement to see the love of Jesus permeate from this building in each one of our lives. Pastor Clark's a great guy. He's a great speaker, but he can only reach a limited amount of people. But if each one of us left and said, you know what, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be intentional and in taking intentional steps to step out of my comfort zone, maybe for most of us, and, and, and proclaim the love of Jesus in my work, in my family in my town, in my school. Lives will be changed, and I can say that confidently because it's God's word, his word does not return void. So church, I want us to stand this morning. Because again, this is the intro to this series. And I'm so excited to unpack this. And this is the cool part is that this was God, not us that throughout this series, this all culminates and leads up to Easter Sunday. One of the highest salvation Sundays in, in, in church culture. That if we could all catch the so that, I'd rather people get saved before they come to Easter Sunday so we can just worship together. But I ask you, I would ask you to put out your hands like this. And this isn't something weird or, or overly spiritual. What this is, is this is just a sign of movement, a sign of surrender a sign of receiving. But church, if we can come together and say, we're going to live the so that. Because I know, I know that as I've been talking, the Lord has brought people into your heads that you need to live a life of mission for. 
He's brought, I, I talked last service with all these people that said, oh, well, after you talk, like all these things, all these things I haven't done and I want to be bold. My challenge to you, church, is let's be bold as we walk out of this room and as we continue this series, that each step of the way, as we look into his word, that we will move and we'll become a movement and not a museum. So I'm going to pray to close the service this morning. But I'm going to pray a prayer of declaration. And as I'm praying this prayer, if you agree and you say, I'm going to take a bold step to live the so that, I'm going to live a life where I know I'm equipped, I know that, I, I, that God you know, equips me and gives me the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to start living it and not just talking about it, but living it and walking it every day. As I pray, I challenge you, not yet, but I challenge you just to raise your hands in the air. Because if we can't make bold steps here in church, then there's no way we're going to do it out there. I wanted to make you come forward, but there's too many of you, so this is going to have to do. So as I pray, if that's you, if God is speaking to your heart and you're saying, you know what, I don't know what this looks like yet, but I'm committing to live the so that in my life, in all those three spheres, as we look at that, I'm committing, I'm going to do what I can to follow my purpose, the purpose that our Heavenly Father has given us. Then when I pray, raise your hands. Father, Father, help us to live a so that life with every step that we take. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that you saved us out of the mire and the muck, that you saved us and you rescued us from darkness. But Father, we also thank you that that wasn't it, but that you gave us a purpose. You gave us a divine destiny, which is to be the hands and feet of the body of Christ. And so Father, we commit this morning by raising our hands to you this morning. We commit that no longer will we be complacent, that if we're involved in a museum, that we're gonna take a step into being involved in a movement, that this morning... Church won't be about us, but it will be about others. This morning, we commit to that. We commit to live the so that lifestyle. And as we dive into this over the next few weeks, Father, we commit that we're all in. That it's a priority. Because, Father, we want to see people know their value. We want to see people know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.